may be seated this morning. As we continue in worship, we always want to take time to go to the Lord in prayer. So if you would bow your heads and your lives and your hearts before the Lord and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness, God, your grace to us this day. And yet, Lord, as we are here and acknowledging that this is the beginning of the Passion Week according to our calendar, we know that there was a time in history that you so loved us, you sent Jesus, and he walked upon this earth. Father, we are so wonderful, wonderfully thankful, God, that you loved us this way. You sent Christ not to condemn the world, but to redeem it. You are good. You are great. And Father, this morning we praise you for simply who you are. Unto yourself you are worthy of all our praise. Just as David says, you are trustworthy. We can trust in you. You keep your promises. You are faithful to your word. And just as Jesus prayed, your word is truth. Lord, we know it is true. You are just. You are the justifier of the righteous. Because of who you are, you love us. And you are love. You are holy. And it's because, Lord, of, of who you are, your desire to, to redeem that you sent Jesus to this world. And it's only through Christ, it's only through the cross, it's only through his shed blood that we have the atonement for sin. He was perfect and sinless. So we praise you, Lord, for salvation. It's in Christ alone. There is not many roads, Lord. There is only one. There's only one way. And then it is through Jesus. So we praise you for Calvary. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for this week. We thank you that Jesus was willing and he prayed in the garden, not his will, your will be done. And your will was to redeem a people of which, Lord, we are this day saying thank you. Hallelujah. What a wonderful Savior. Father, we know that Calvary had to happen. The cross had to happen. We were born into sin. Lord, we did not choose our sin, but we were born into it. So, Father, we ask this day that you would cleanse us of our sin, of our thoughts, Lord, that be, betray us, the words that maybe have come out of our minds, the deeds, Lord, that were against your word, against your purpose, because ultimately, Lord, all our sin is against you. So we take time to confess, God, that we would have right fellowship with you, that our ears would be open, Lord, to your voice, and our eyes open to, Lord, your guidance by your spirit. Pray, that, pray, Lord, that you would forgive us of our pride, forgive us of often wanting our own way, not your way, and justifying these things. So we ask that the Holy Spirit would reveal, Lord, your spirit would reveal in us the hidden sins, the justified sins, oftentimes that, that we want to uh, look over or negate or even maybe at times we're unaware of. So we ask God that your spirit would expose it, that we might confess it and repent of it. We pray, Lord, that you would empower us, as David says, to depart evil, to, to wait patiently upon you, to trust in you, to have eyes, Lord, of faith that sees you operating and moving, even though at times, Lord, it seems that you're far. Let us rest in the fact that you are ever-present. You're ever-present in your omnipresence, that you're always with us. 
So Lord, fill us with your spirit that in those moments we would not waver or negate your truth, that we would follow after you, that we would, as David says, keep your way. Help us, Lord, to follow. We pray that this would be a day, God, that you would continue the good work you've begun in each of your children. Mature us in the faith. Lord, we are so eternally grateful and thankful that you love us the way you do that you have supplied for us your spirit, you have sealed us unto the day of redemption, Lord, that today you have grace and mercy for us. We thank you for salvation, Lord. We come with confidence before you. And Lord, we make our requests known. We pray, Lord, for your church in America and around the globe, that, Lord, by your spirit, you would awaken us to your word and to your gospel. That, Lord, we would preach not ourselves, as Paul says, but you. We would herald your truth and trust, Lord, that you are the one who changes lives. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by your word. So, Lord, let us be true to it. Lord, we pray that that, uh, your church would keep your way, not just keep it, but preach, Lord, your way. We pray for your blessing, Lord, your leading and leadership of Faith Community Bible Church and all our ministries. Let us have this conviction that your word is truth, just as Jesus prayed. Let us believe that. Let us live that. Let us teach that. Lord, we pray, and our expectation is that you still save, you still change lives. So God, we pray uh, for those this morning who may not know you, that might be here, that salvation would come to them. This would be a day of them coming to repent of their sins and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to make him Lord of their lives. Lord, I pray for those this morning who know you, that this would be a day of spiritual maturity, that you would grow us, that this would be a day, Lord, where we would develop ever more so conviction to live by your word for your glory. God, that this would be a day you would bring about healing in us, Lord, for those who are in need of a physical healing. God, we call upon your great name, uh, Lord, we pray for those who are a, maybe a financial need or maybe it's something of a, of a mental problem, something that just affects our thinking and our minds need to be renewed. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be at work. It is our expectation that you would be uh, moving in all these areas. We pray for our nation, Lord, the unrest we see in our nation and in our states, Lord, even in, into our community, we ask God, that your church would be a voice, that your children would stand up and stand for truth. We pray for and thank you for our first responders who, Lord, bring about safety in our communities. We ask, Lord, protection over them. We're thankful, Lord, for our medical field that serve in this way. We're thankful, Lord, for uh, the teachers in our communities and our leaders in our communities and our businesses in our communities. Most importantly, Lord, we pray for families would strengthen, Lord, the families. Help us again, Lord, as a church to be a light. Lord, those who do not know, those who are going without hope or are just in a state of desperation, that, Lord, through, uh, Lord, our voice, our life, that we might be a light that shines. You have the words to eternal life. Lord, let us be a church that does not hide them, but proclaims them. And, Lord, let us be a church that lives them. So, Lord, we ask for your spirit, fill us afresh and anew today, and let your word speak to us. We pray over the offering, Lord, those prepared to worship you in this way, that, Lord, it will be used, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
We'd see others come to know you, your kingdom to grow. So, Lord, we pray to that end, your goodness, your favor. We pray this all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This time, I'd like to dismiss the children to Children's Church. I know they're eager to, uh, don't know why, but it's eager to get out. For the rest of us young at heart, would you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Lord willing, this morning we will look at verses uh, 5 and 6. Um, the last few Sundays, I didn't intend for, for uh, at least verses 3 and 4 to, to go two messages, but um, you know that's a long-winded pastor for you, I guess. <clears throat> but we want to look at these verses, and, and this morning I simply entitled this message, It's God's Answer. Um, in the context of, of the scripture, you know, it's always important to understand these passages in light of what's happening. Right? Who's writing and who's writing to what and to who and what's going on? Right? All those questions we want to investigate to help us understand what's, what the text is saying. And the last few weeks we looked at verses uh, 3 and 4 where Paul simply says, And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. That's a pretty profound verse, if you think about it, because here Paul is writing to a church. He's not writing to those outside the church. He's writing to professing Christians. Now he's dealing with the peddlers of the word of God. He's dealing with false teachers. But no doubt he's dealing with some who think they're saved and they are not. Because their response to Paul is simply, uh, we don't like your message, right? And if I don't like the message, then it doesn't, right? I just tell them, well, it's, it's your fault, right? I'm not going to change. You change your message. That's what's going on. And Paul says, look, the message hasn't changed. From the first letter, he has preached Christ him crucified. And the verses we'll look at here in a moment, he is preaching Christ Jesus as Lord. Paul's message doesn't change, but we have this situation. So we see two, two groups of, of people, don't we? There is the gospel group. There's the veiled group within the church. And Paul goes on in verse 4 to tell us that you know, Satan is active. His worldview is, is uh, definitely happening. Our, our culture, and no doubt you would agree with me, is trying to uh, get you to a place where you just accept the new norm. Uh, maybe many of you have seen some of the videos of Disney this week and, and them coming out and just being true to kind of who they are. You know, so that moment of going, well, we kind of knew it, but now they're saying it. And their desire to put into all of their new, uh, I guess, movies and... and uh, Whatever else Disney does, short movies, no, what do they do, stories, cartoons, thanks for the help there, all right? <laughs> but to weave into those a worldview, right? They want to weave into and indoctrinate you and get you to a point as a parent to just accept that's our world now, right? Transgender, homosexuality, queer, I mean, all that is coming out and they have said, this is what we want to do and we want to weave it into everything. Right? That's our world. That's where you and I live. That's where we exist. This is Satan's worldview. Everything that God says good, Satan is going to come along and say it's not good or pervert it in some way. That's the reality. This is where you and I live. Right? That's our world. And so Paul gives us insight. Right? There is a real enemy. Paul doesn't try to prove to you that Satan exists. He just tells you, here's the reality. The Bible never tries to prove Satan 
Never tries to prove demons. Just tells you, Here's, here he is, right? This is what's going on. So that's the reality which we live. And then within the church, we have those who, who profess Christ, who do not know Christ. And, and so Paul is dealing with all these issues. He's dealing with the, the enemy, Satan. He's dealing with uh, worldviews that are happening. You have all these people, just like today, who think, well, I don't like Paul's message. It actually uh, tells me I'm a sinner and I have to repent and do some things. And, well, we don't like that. So uh, let's not preach that anymore, right? So that's the idea, Paul. We, it's you. You're the fault. You're the problem. And Paul, again, in the verses we'll look at in a moment, has never wavered, right? He doesn't make it about him. Hey, I'm, I'm an apostle, right? He doesn't come in with his name tag on or his lanyard. It says, I'm an apostle, Paul. You don't have this lanyard, right? It's a colored one. I'm, I'm someone important. He doesn't do any of that. It comes back to what? God's answer. What is God's answer to the problem of Satan? The gospel. What is God's answer to the peddlers and the false teachers? It's Christ. Christ specifically as Lord. What is, what is God's answer to those who are confused, whether they're saved or not, or whether they're, they're misled about their salvation or trusting in anything save except Christ? Paul would once again say, Jesus. See, I think in our lives, and I would assume you would agree with me on this, that you know, we kind of think I'm somewhat good, right? Our, our, our sin of our pride, maybe. Maybe you've compared yourself to others and go, you know, at least I'm not like that guy or that person or whatever, and you think I'm pretty good. God loves me. I'm, I'm okay. Right? But in heaven, right, to get into heaven, I mean, God demands perfection. You have to be perfect. So it's not like we can stand before, as, as Jesus says, there are many who find the way to destruction and the narrow gate, that's where he's at, right? Uh, he, you know, we're not going to stand on that day and say, well, you know what, I, I went to church pretty, pretty regularly, right? I've got that one going for me. So God isn't going to look at the things maybe you've done right. He's going to look at all the areas in which you have failed. I don't know if you've ever been pulled over by a police officer. I hope that's not true of anyone here. I'm not going to say anything more about that, but that if you've been pulled over, maybe going a little bit faster and, and there is a speed limit and the police officer pulls you over and you may have thought, well, you know what? I'm a pretty good person. There was a school zone back here where I did not speed and you may try to make your case to the police officer, but he does not care. If you're obeying the law right back there, he's giving you a ticket because you just broke it right here, Right? And since so sometimes we think God will overlook some things, God's not going to overlook some things. So you and I have to be perfect. We have to be perfect. This is why Paul comes back to Jesus. So here's the verses we'll look at. He says, beginning in verse, it's reason, right? Four, verse five. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bond servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Let me offer a brief prayer as we look at this passage. Father, we again say thank you for the gospel we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. That there is no other way. But this morning we acknowledge, Lord, we are so grateful that there is a way. The way. The, the truth, the life, it's Jesus. 
So Lord, as we look to your word now, I pray that you'd open our eyes. That if the gospel is veiled in us, Lord, unveil it. Let us, let us see and experience the light of the glory of Jesus Christ as Lord in our lives. I pray, Lord, your spirit would impress that upon us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this passage this morning, and uh, you were dealing with the veil, the gospel group, and the veiled group, and, and no doubt in your own life, if, if you think about family members and situations, or maybe coworkers who do not know Christ, I believe this passage is going to encourage you, right? Because when we preach, not ourselves, but Christ, we see in this passage that God shines, right? God's light is. God can. God will. He's able. All the power. But God so decides and desires to do it His way, right? There is a way which is God's way, and there is a way which is man's way. And it's the same throughout what we've been talking about. Paul has come back to this this moment where he is telling the Corinthians, hey, you're at a crossroads. Don't go your own way. Don't go the way in chapter 3 of the Jews when the the law is read and there's still a veil. They don't see the glory of of what uh, is ahead of them, right? The, The law was to fade away and the new covenant was to come. That's Christ Jesus. He's saying they can't see it. And he's telling this church, right, the Corinthians, he's telling us, you know, if you're standing at a crossroads this morning... Don't, don't go the old way, go, right, God's way. Or should I say the way of the world? So I was thinking about this passage, and by way of introduction, why I say that, I have, I have often found myself praying as a pastor, praying for you and praying for us as a church, that God would lead us, those very words, lead us His way, right, the ancient path. And where do I get that verse? That Out of Jeremiah. I put these references in your notes, I'm not going to put them on the screen. You can look at them later. But in Jeremiah, we see that this uh, God's word comes to Jeremiah, and he's telling Judah, right? Judah is going through all this rebellion and all this sin, and they have nothing and no desire to, to, uh, to follow after the Lord. Yet we see the patience and grace of God through Jeremiah say this. God says to Judah, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. So in essence, what what Jeremiah is proclaiming to Judah is saying, look, a ways back here, there was a fork in the road, and you you guys went the wrong way, right? Go back to the fork in the road and start going on the ancient path. Go the way that God says you are to go. Take his law seriously, right? Follow his, his ordinances, right? Give yourself to this. Do what his word says. That's exactly what he's saying. And of course, Judah said, uh, no, we want to go our own way. What's interesting, and maybe your Bibles have a cross-reference, we see these same words of our, of our Savior Jesus. Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30 says this, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's our word, right? Ancient past rest. I will give you rest. In verse 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
So Jesus comes and he says the very same thing, right? Don't, don't, don't just go your own way. Come my way. Cast, uh, or, or excuse me, um, I will give you rest if you come to me, right? Take upon me my yoke. Do things my way. And Jesus tells us, I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart. You will find rest here, calm to me. I mean, Matthew 7, right? The narrow gate. Jesus is saying the same thing. There's a broad way, narrow way. The ancient past. John, in uh, 1 John 2, 6, says, The one who says he abides in Christ ought himself to walk in the same manner as Christ walked. Right? We see this throughout Scripture. Paul, in essence, is saying the same thing to the Corinthians. Which I would say to you this morning, are you at a crossroads? The world is pressing upon us. The, the evil one is working his way. He's trying to get you to endorse, to, to imbibe, right, the culture that is happening, to buy into the worldview that is contrary to Scripture. Many of us feel that pressure, and you're at a crossroads. To which I would say, like Paul, right, I say it to my own heart, I say it to yours. The answer for us today is not, right, not ourselves. It is Christ. Him crucified. It is Christ, Him as Lord. See, this is the answer to our problem. This is God's answer, answer to the situation. It's His purpose, His power, His glory. This is what God will do through His Word and through the heralding, the preaching of His Word. So this leads to my first point. Here's the situation. It's nothing new under the sun. We've seen it with Israel. We see Christ saying this. We see it in the New Testament. Paul is writing these very things and telling the church, look, uh, we don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ. This is his answer to Satan. This is his answer to those who are veiled, who think they have the gospel, who are not believers. So my first point is God's answer is revealed in the clarity of his message. We're not to to um, compromise his truth. It means we are not to take away from his truth. We're not to add to his truth. We're not to de- deny his truth. That may sound pretty easy, but when you get in conversations and there are those who, have, who are lost and in the world and you come and say, look, that's sin and you need to repent in a loving way, right? We just don't beat them over the head with that. We love them, then tell them. That becomes a difficult conversation. But this is what Paul, in essence, is doing. He's not changing anything. So he comes and he says, look, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. And so I could say it like this, not every sermon are the same. Not all sermons are equal. Not all messages are equal. Not all are true to his word, right? There is, there is in which a way we are to look at God's word and to parse it out and teach it. This is one of the reasons why we work through passages of Scripture, my heart, like yours, is, has and needs to be redeemed. It's very easy for any pastor to say, you know what, let's not preach that text because that will give me a lot of emails and people will be upset and a whole bunch of other stuff. So let's just avoid it. Well, we're not going to avoid it. And you can send your emails, that's no problem. But here's the reality, right? It is Christ who shines. Often today we may talk about Jesus, but we have to be a little bit more specific. We're speaking about Christ and Lord, right? This is who he is. He is the second person of the Trinity who has come, right? He was born sinless. He lived under the, the, the miseries and endured the miseries of this life. He, he relates to us this way. 
Paul is going to go right to in the end of chapter 6 and talk about the face of Christ. He's going to talk about the, the, the deity of Jesus. We relate to him because God had to come this way. His message is there had to be someone to redeem right humanity. We see the necessity of the deity of Jesus Christ. Christ has to come. This is Jesus's mess, or excuse me, God's message, which Paul is preaching. It is opposite the world. He has told us this in 1 Corinthians, the first letter. He's told us that the Jews stumble all over this, right? They just can't accept the fact that Jesus, anyone who died on a cross, is accursed of God. We can't accept or follow anyone who's accursed of God. It makes no sense. The Jews call it foolishness, or excuse me, the yeah, the Gentiles call it foolishness because they're thinking what God would, would one, walk amongst his people, right? I mean, that's crazy thoughts. And then two, actually die for, for, their, for his own. That's not a God. A God doesn't do that. So Paul has told us this. This is the reality in our culture, right? We don't even have people go that far. They just, they know nothing of Christianity, but they're going to be quick to say, well, that's stupid, right? Or it's, it's old, or you're dumb, and they don't know why. It's amazing how you can have conversations with people and just get them to think about what they actually believe. And quite quickly, you realize, man, they've got nothing. And you need Christ, right? You're, you're banking on we go from, come from nothing, go to nothing, or we evolved, or whatever that might be. But this is not how Paul works through this, right? His answer is not to go, look, let me reason with you. He's going to come back and say, this is why I've preached Christ. If you may remember at the beginning of chapter 3, he said, look, you are the letter. You are my letter, right? We have these people coming into the church and saying, look, Paul, he's not even, uh, he doesn't have these letters. He's not endorsed. He doesn't have the right people. He doesn't have the right group of people around him. He's just this guy. He's a little short. It's kind of annoying, right? That's what these false teachers are saying. I'm sure that's part of it, annoying, right? But he's coming and saying, look, you're it. You're it. The Judaizers would come, definitely what we know of them. Um, they were not servants trying to help the people. They exploited people. Put them into bondage. So Paul says, look, I'm not going to come to you and, and preach myself. Paul, in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, said that, right? I'm, I'm thankful I didn't baptize many of you. There's all these divisions. I'm coming with myself. I come with Christ. So here's the real challenge today. Right? How do we get people to come to church? Well, some churches buy into the idea of you know circus animals and and uh, I always say skinny jeans, but I don't want you thinking of me in skinny jeans at all. Right? That's not a good thought. But there has to be a defining moment. The desire is right. We want to see people come to the Lord, but the Lord says, "This is how I want." See, the Lord isn't isn't interested in building a crowd. He wants to build a church. I mean, Jesus gives us, right, the, the right question. Who do you say that I am? It's a defining question. It puts you on one side or the other. It doesn't, doesn't allow you to have one foot as a Christian and one foot over here. It doesn't allow you to mingle who he is. Jesus in Matthew 7, as we talked about the last few weeks, right, he doesn't allow you to mingle through the narrow gate and the broad one. You're on one or the other. Paul is simply saying, look, here's, here's the reality. I'm not going to preach myself. I'm going to preach Christ. 
I'm not coming to you in my own effort. He made a point of this in the first letter to say, look, I didn't come with all these skills and all this great rhetorical skills. I purposely didn't do this so you would know that your faith is built upon Christ, upon the power of God. So Paul's message is to herald this truth. It's not his truth. It is Christ. Remember, Paul was a false teacher. Paul was running to hell, right? Even though he didn't know it, and Christ intervenes on that road to Damascus. And no doubt the words and the language he speaks here speaks to this moment where there was a light when he realized, I didn't know how dark my heart was until the glory of Christ shined in me. You better believe Paul isn't going to change the message because he's fully convinced that all those outside of Christ today, that God can save. So what is the herald? We're called to preach. You and I are a part of this ministry how do we herald? What do we, uh, what do we, how do we, what does that mean? How would Paul, his, his listeners, understand that word preach? In his book, Called to Preach, Steve Lawson says this about a herald. He says, the word preach has a rich historical background. In the New Testament times, the Roman emperor would issue an imperial decree uh, in his palace. He would call for his heralds to come, and he would entrust this message For them to send it out, these messengers, these heralds, would then carry it to the distant perimeters of the empire. So they would go out, they would journey to the outlying city, enter into the marketplace, they would gather the people around, the citizens would put down their tools of trade, leave their businesses, put everything on pause, and they would simply come around the official spokesperson, they'd be eager to hear the message. And the herald would raise his voice, right? Hear ye, hear ye. And he would begin to proclaim the message. It was not a time, as Steve Lawson says, to stutter or stamper, nor was it an occasion for any self-promotion or any lighthearted entertainment. To the contrary, the messenger would loudly and clearly issue the announcement exactly as it was entrusted to him. He was not permitted to add any of his own opinions to this sovereign message, nor could he withdraw any of it. You can imagine the pressure of a herald, right? He would go out there, and if it's bad news, and he knows that people aren't going to like it, they might just do something to the messenger, right? He could say, hey, don't blame me, I'm just the messenger, but they might take matters in their own hands. So regardless of the response... Regardless of the acceptance or the rejection of the message, his job was to herald this message. See, Paul has grabbed that word. He's grabbed the word preach. He says, you, you and I, are to herald this message. We cannot compromise it. So maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking, so what? I get it, it's a herald, he's got he's to do this, all right, whatever, what's, what's the big deal? Well, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Romans. It's over a few pages. Romans chapter 10. We're going to begin in verse 11. And think about the importance of this message preached and heralded. Verse 11, chapter 10 of Romans says, For the Scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. 
For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news. Paul goes on in this letter and he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? There's our word herald. How will they preach unless they are sinned? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And then Paul says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The word herald is to take a message Why does it matter? Because people need to hear God's message. See, you and I, our greatest need is a righteousness unto salvation. Not one of us will stand on that day of judgment saying, look at my life, it's it's pretty good. No, it must be perfect. Not one sin gets into heaven, right? It's it's not 99% of me is good and one out. No, it has to be 100%. So this is our need. We're born into a sin problem. God's answer is Christ. And God's greatest gift is a righteousness right through faith in Christ Jesus. This is, as we talked about, I mentioned earlier, the Passion Week. Christ is entering into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. We are at this point singing, right? Hosanna, Hosanna, right? In the highest. On Friday, he will be nailed to a cross. But on Sunday, he will be resurrected. This must happen. Christ was the sinless Son of God who walked this earth. He is the one who prayed, not my will, your will be done. He is the one to allow his own creation to nail him to the cross. He is the one who overcame the world, who rose again. He is the one that we can have confidence in. It is an indispensable fact that in order to get into heaven, you must know Jesus Christ as Savior. There is a real enemy that wars against us. There is a worldview that that tries to press upon you. There are those who think they're saved and the gospel is veiled, but the light will shine when God's message is heralded. It's His truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing His Word. Jesus is Lord. This is Paul's message. He is Lord. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Now God can do whatever God wants to do. God is all-powerful, almighty. But God has so set it up that He will work through His church, through His children, to preach His message that we might see Him move. And for us to see him move, we must herald his message. So this is Paul's conviction. This is Paul's answer, right? Here is what God has done. So he begins in the second part of verse 5. I say God's answer is seen in the lives of his people. There must be, right, life transformation. He says, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. So there's our, our, our verse 5, right? I preach not myself, but I preach Jesus Christ as Lord and myself, ourselves, those uh, workers with me, as in the word is doulos. Bondservant is translated here, but the word means slave. For who? For Jesus' sake. 
we're not just to herald this, but we're to demonstrate this. Paul has placed himself under the authority of Christ, under right the power of the Holy Spirit. He is planting this church, and he is coming back and serving them. He has said this over and over again. He hasn't come to Corinth to make a name for himself. He doesn't see this church as a stepping stone. He doesn't go to other places and go, look what I did in Corinth. You guys should you know, give me a, a, a little bit more of an income or a pay. Quite the opposite. It's popular today as many pastors who use churches as a stepping stone into a bigger church, to bigger recognition, to a bigger title, bigger name, bigger book deal, whatever else they want. It's not Paul's mentality. Completely opposite. He came to Corinth, planted this church that people would come to know Christ, that they would be built up in the faith. And he uses this word, doulos, the Greek word, and it means slave. It refers, just as you may think of the word, to someone who is the property of another. In our culture, this is a very ugly word. And rightfully so. But Paul is using this spiritually. Paul already has written to the Corinthians, I'm sure has communicated this multiple times, but in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, he says, don't you realize you are not your own? That you have been bought at a price. You have been bought back. The second greatest story of the Bible, Hosea and Gomer, right? This picture of go and buy her back. What has Christ done? He has shed his blood. He has purchased a people. Paul grabs that and says, this is who I am. I am a slave for Jesus' sake. I mean, how many times has he told the Corinthians? They still doubt it, which is so funny. How many times has he told them, you know how I conducted myself? You know how I was around you. You know how I've been in the world. You know my sufferings. You know all the pain and sorrow. You know this, and still they're, they're scratching their heads and going, I'm not so sure about this Paul guy. Well, the reason is they don't like the message, right? So what Paul is saying, right, in their culture, slaves did not have a, they didn't have a class. They were not a class of people. Their social status was entirely dependent on the status of their owner. So Paul's status was was entirely found in Christ. Christ alone. This is Paul's mentality. This is the call he, he places upon the church. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, over to Philippians, just quickly. Philippians chapter 2. See, Paul says, this is for Jesus' sake. Let's see, what did Jesus do for us? I think chapter 2 of Philippians communicates this well. He says, beginning in verse 1, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affliction and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent in one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look at your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Having this attitude, which he's just explained what it means, right, to be a slave, this is where he's going. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a, and there's our word, slave. My translation, bondservant. And being found in the likeness of men, being found, excuse me, in the, in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became, and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess, and this is what Paul is preaching, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, we ever find ourselves in a moment in life where we go, hey, you're asking a little bit too much there. Pastor, you're using this word slave, and I don't know if I like it. You've got to realize that Jesus, for your sake, became the very thing that you are rejecting. That's what is in Paul's mind. Going back to Paul's testimony, think of your own conversion. Realize that you, like Paul, were running to hell as fast as you could without understanding it or knowing it. And there is a God who sovereignly loved you, who so decreed that you would be redeemed right by His Son who bore His blood on this cross. This is the reality. And Paul pauses for a moment and goes, man, he called my name. This the power of the gospel. So Paul says, look, Jesus became a slave for me that I might have the hope of eternity in Jesus Christ. How can I not right, respond and return and become the same as he has done for me? It's for Jesus' sake. See, the life right, of a Christian is different than the world. You are to be different. Paul has told them, look, you're my letter. How you live, you demonstrate the, the authenticity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Christian, right? how you live, you authenticate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul isn't stressing, hey, you need to be perfect. He's talking about a direction in your life. Right? We know that justification happens in a moment. Adoption happens in a moment. This is where the law is fulfilled and you are brought from the family of Adam into the family of Christ. You are redeemed. But sanctification, which also happens there, it carries on. This is the picking up of the cross. This is the following after him. This is where the word slave comes in and says, how, Lord, how can I live for you because you died for me? He set his glory aside. This is who Jesus is. And we begin to think this way. We begin to think like Paul. And imagine some of you are thinking just what he has already told us. Who is adequate for these things? Chapter 2, verse 16, right? As we live this way, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place for we are a fragrance of Christ. This is verse 15. Fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one aroma from death to death, to the other aroma from life to life. Who is adequate? Who is adequate for these things? You may look at this passage and go, well, Pastor, what are you saying? Who is adequate? Well, you should already know the answer because we've worked through chapter 3. 
Paul says in verse 5 of chapter 3, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. So here's, here's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God so loves you, he sends, right? The second person of the Trinity. He sends who dies on the cross and God fills us, right, with his spirit. That even in our sanctification, as we're following after him, that he is at work in us. He doesn't leave us nor forsake us. Going back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, here is the working. We come to this moment, we say, this seems a little bit impossible I think it's time for us as God's children to say, no, all things are possible. This is Paul's conviction, right? We come back and we say, I'm not going to preach myself. I'm going to preach Christ. I'm going to herald this message. I'm going to trust in God. And I'm going to start living my life and demonstrating that I'm changed. And maybe I need to start realizing that Christ became a slave for me for my sake, that I would live for him. So this is what matters, right? God is looking for a people who believe. It mean you're perfect. It means you're growing and maturing. It's not perfection. It is a direction in your life. You're marked different because you're going opposite the world. So it's important for us to think about what Christ has done. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 38 through 39, And he who does not take, take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. See, here's what Paul is doing. Paul has lost his life. He is a slave for Christ. And yet he is finding it. Martin Luther has said, A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. How do we know the gospel is unveiled, right? There is a passion growing in you. There's a desire in you. I want to honor the Lord. I want to follow after him. He became a slave that that I might be saved. How can I live for him? Well, this morning I think we'll we'll kind of call this, we'll bring this to an end here. We're always at the top of the hour. But the reality of this message is we think about the Passion Week. Christ is coming. He's riding on on a donkey, right? He's familiar with the story. It's not what the people expected. We wanted someone to come and to conquer, someone to wipe out the Romans. But Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. He's coming on a donkey. He's coming in peace. But when Jesus returns, he will not be on a donkey. He's coming on a horse, as Scripture teaches us. So between now and then, however, whenever the Lord may come, if he tarries, we are to grab hold of this message. It is the right response to those who are perishing. It is the right confidence to those who are in Christ. I pray that you're strengthened and realize, man, he has saved me. He has done something in me. The, the glory of God has shined in me and in the, the work of Jesus Christ. 
You realize that you're not a mistake, you're not a joke, and that when Jesus is serious about his great commission, right, that no matter where you go, he will be with you. Share his message. Live this life. We're going to close here, and uh, we're going to sing. It's probably a good thing we stopped. I have a lot more notes here. (laughs) We're going to sing, There is a Fountain. Um, and throughout history, as I was looking at this hymn, uh, it's, it was written back in the 1700s, and there's a desire always to change the language. It's kind of offensive, right? We don't like the idea there's a fountain filled with blood. And that's even popular today. I think a lot of people would say, well, let's not sing about blood. It's kind of offensive. You know, we don't want to do that. And See, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And specifically, it had to be of Christ. So as we close here in a moment, we'll sing this. I'm going to pray, but just encourage you, be thankful that Christ so loved you that he spilled his, his blood. We would be redeemed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time you've given to us this morning. We're thankful that we have your word. It is true, and you are true to your word. Now, Lord, help us. We are not perfect. We are far from that. But we trust your spirit working in us. And I pray that you would encourage every soul here this morning um, to know, Lord, that we are not an accident or a mistake of, of any sort. Uh, help us, to, Lord, by your spirit, to have our eyes open to the culture and to the worldviews that are maybe impressing upon us. And let us not be fearful, Lord, in those moments where we have opportunity in which to speak your message. Let us do it with clarity. Because it it is your answer. It is your answer. So, Lord, let us grab hold of it. Let us live it. Let us proclaim it. Let us be heralds of it. The conversations, the, the moments, Father, of opportunity, let us seize them that we would not take away, subtract, or add to, Lord, any part of it. Lead us that way. So let your Spirit stir our hearts and draw us close. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning and um, questions about the message, questions about what we covered this morning, I'll be up here following the service, or you can email.